Join me, Professor RPG, as I sit down with friends, colleagues, and special guests as we reminisce and discuss role-playing games that left their mark on us. Expect to see all sorts, from western style to Japanese and even tabletop. So stay a while and listen, and let us trigger those memories of tales long since completed. Relive that fantasy you hold dear, and come along with us, adventurer, on this quest into the past. Welcome to the RPG University. Classes in session, and today we're changing ones and zeros into cardboard and dice as we take a look at the creations of a board game creator that has been making board game versions of some of the most popular RPGs you may have heard of. As always, I am your host, Scott White, also known as Professor RPG, and this week I have the pleasure of welcoming to the university the designer behind the Persona 5 fan game, Anna's Roundtable, Genshin Tarot, and many others, the Ming in Brother Ming Games. Ming. How's it going, Ming? <laughs> oh, man, that was a nice intro. Yeah, it's going good. Uh, Chinese New Year just wrapped up. My parents visited, and I ate until I couldn't eat anymore. Uh, it's been good. It's been good. How about you? Doing doing very well. I mean, that, that sounds like the perfect way to spend holidays, just being stuffed full of delicious food from your parents. Um, oh, yeah. It, it's, it's so good. But, yes, you are a big... Uh, design like you have designed a number of really well-received board games based on um fire emblem and persona just to name a, a couple but before we dive into all that obviously you had to have had some passion prior to these games so uh take <laughs> us on your nerd journey if you will like when did you get into video games and and, and board games in general Oh man, I have a I have a pretty fun sappy story about how I got into video games. Uh, my first <laughs> my first system was a Game Boy Advance, uh, not the SP, just a classic you know purple Game Boy Advance. Oh. Uh, and I got it during Hurricane Katrina. I, mm. I I grew up in China, but I moved to America when I was about uh, when I was in third grade, fourth grade ish. Uh, <clears throat> so I moved to America while I was in fourth grade, and Hurricane Katrina. I moved to Louisiana. And Hurricane Katrina happened uh, right when I was seventh grade, and I got my first Game Boy Advance uh, while we were evacuated. We were trapped, kind of uh, in this Motel Six uh, that was being paid for by FEMA, and uh, not knowing what the hell was going on, my mom was like, "Oh my god, didn't want me to not have anything to do," and uh, she was very anti-video games up to that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to a Walmart. She bought me a Game Boy Advance because that was just, you know, it was, uh, you know, easy, cheap at the time. Uh, and let me pick out any game. Uh, and at this point, I had already watched anime because anime is free. You can watch that. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. so Fire Emblem, the OG Fire Emblem, what we know as seven now, uh, was on the shelves, uh, back then in Walmart. So I bought that and that was my first video game. So I was, I was deeply into Fire Emblem from the get go. Starting uh, out with a banger. I have to say, yeah. like, I remember starting <laughs> off with, like, I love Super Mario Brothers on NES. Like, that's the era I grew up mm. starting with, but there were some real stinkers back in the day, too. But, man, <laughs> starting out with Fire Emblem, uh, I think Seven's Blazing Blade, right? That's the yeah. official one. I, uh, I absolutely I love actually, that one. I think one. Blazing Blade is six, I think. I thought that was Binding Blade. Oh, no, Blade. Binding Blade. Yeah, Binding, Binding Blade, Blade is six. six, Blazing Seven. Yep, yep. yep. Uh, the two names are very similar. <laughs> well, they are uh, a pair, but no, I can, yeah. I always get them confused. But damn good game, just in general. 
Yeah, I ended up not playing Binding of Blade until like college, like like fifteen years later or something crazy like that. Uh, so yeah, no, I I I was into Fire Emblem for a really long time. That was kind of like I played I played the crap out of that game as a kid, like multiple multiple times because I didn't get a second game for quite a while. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, you didn't have school during uh, while we were evacuated for Katrina. Yeah, when, uh, when you don't have yeah. a school that's working and not <laughs> flooded with water, it's it's hard to go to go to school yeah so. uh and then uh eventually i got into board games in college uh as basically an adult i suppose uh, if you can call college students adults uh with dominion uh i saw dominion and uh and BattleCon. so both of those games were in bars and nobles uh while i was in college and uh, i was a big bars and nobles crawler i would just go in there sit down read manga for mm -hmm. half a day uh and uh yeah i bought though i bought I think I bought Dominion for myself first, uh, and I just got all my friends into it. It was it was the game that we were always playing over and over and over. And I think that's like a very common gateway game. But then my second one was mm -hmm. BattleCon that less people play with me, but I still really liked. And so I just uh, from there college got into board games. Wanted to design one as like my senior project. Uh, realized that you know designing a board game is very very hard. I designed like three or four prototypes, you know, just, yeah. you know, just downloaded Google Google images, printed them out, uh, you know, played it with friends, and they all sucked. They were great. Uh, they all sucked though. Uh, but eventually, you know, that just kind of evolved uh, into a hobby of playing and thinking about making board games while doing my regular nine to five job after I graduated college. And then uh, one day, I was like, uh, about a year after Fire Emblem Heroes had come out. Mm -hmm. I had spent way too much money on that game because <laughs> uh, it was a gotcha, and I am I am a gotcha addict. I have I, I don't have very good impulse control. <laughs> uh, about a year after that game came out, I was like, I, let me just make a Fire Emblem Heroes card game for myself for fun because it had at the time there was like over three hundred characters already in Heroes, and mm -hmm. uh, I was just like, I can't afford to keep. Spending money on getting yeah. these characters, I could just print them out <laughs> on pieces of cardboard, and I'll be like, "Yeah, I get to look at the art." Uh, and I did it. It was fun. I posted it to Reddit, and that Reddit post did pretty well. Uh, and you know, I just kept working on it for fun. And then six months later, like it wasn't immediate. Like six months later, uh, Kotaku covered it, just like based on the based on the yeah. Reddit posts alone. Uh, and that was kind of like what blew it up. And then a bunch of people were like, you should go like, yeah, you're, the game isn't that bad. Like you should, you know, try designing bigger games or like, you know, go to a local proto proto convention and like, uh, talk to publishers. Uh, in retrospect, that game was awful. Was garbage, <laughs> hot garbage, uh, actually unplayable. The original, the original board game was actually unplayable, but, uh, yeah, that, that motivated me to go to proto ATO which was my local proto convention at the time, still ongoing proto ATL, you know, the newest one coming this, uh, this, I think March, end of March, uh, March 27th. And, um, and that's the, where you take and show off prototypes for like board games and stuff, right? Yeah. For people so that proto, might not be familiar. Proto conventions. Um, there's a bunch of them. Uh, the largest one is this network called proto spiel. Uh, and then there's a bunch of conventions that isn't related to proto spiel like Proto ATL, Proto Toronto, uh, these other conventions, uh, that is just has the proto name. But the general gist of a proto convention is prototyping. So it's board gamers, designers, 
take their prototypes and you just have a whole weekend of playtesting, playtesting, playtesting. It's super, super productive. Uh, oh, cool. You meet a lot of friends, a lot of budding <clears throat> designers, as well as published designers who want to playtest their prototypes. Uh, and sometimes you'll meet a lot of publishers as well who are going to these conventions to take pitches. Uh, and yeah, Pearl ATL was wonderful to me. And uh, I basically, from that one convention, I've met everybody that I'm kind of friends with inside the industry today. Mm -hmm. uh, and so from there, just, you know, I just, I just kind of, I dove into this hobby a little bit too hard and then just kept going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I remember the, the first time I met you was back at PAX West of this past year when you were showing your new game that you j had just had a great Kickstarter react. Um, I play tested it, thought it was really great. And then from there, like I checked out your, your Twitter and then saw Anna's round table and those things in persona. It was like, I remembered the story on Kotaku that you mentioned of the game. I hadn't bought it. I didn't realize it was like a purchasable game. So it wasn't, Oh, this was a couple months ago. It was, I think November, but I was like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta get it. Cause I saw like only a couple, <laughs> few copies left or what, whatnot. So I, I ordered it and dude, you put, you put ever like, these are legit. <laughs> Anna's round table was kind of like a opus magnum at this, at that point. Cause I had like put together a bunch of print to plays that people could download, had done a lot of like, you know, just mm -hmm. silly fan games that was digital only. And then Anna's round table was basically the product of uh, the Fire Emblem zine community. And there's a bunch of Fire Emblem uh, zines. Some people pronounce them as zines. Uh, basically, fan artists get together, put together all their art, and then sell it as a magazine. Uh, and then they'll also have a bunch of merch uh, ranging from enamel pins to acrylic charms to standees, uh, all the way up to like tarot decks, poker decks, etc. And at the time, there was like four major Fire Emblem tarot deck projects. Like um three houses tarot was huge i think they sold like five thousand copies oh wow uh and so comparatively i was like well what and i i didn't sell <laughs> i didn't even sell half that much uh and comparatively it's like uh not even a third not even a fourth uh <laughs> but co comparatively i was like in my mind i was like well i mean the zine like these tarot deck projects like What's the difference between a tarot deck and kind of board game? It's just you know, just add some text, right? Like, uh, and yeah, I, that, that's all. <laughs> just throw and, some text uh, on tarot cards. Boom, you got yourself a card game. You sold. Uh, yeah, my 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 project I think took like I think Anna's Roundtable took about three years. It was a while. Wow. Uh, it, it was yeah. Whereas like like Anna's Roundtable birth between its conception and its delivery, like multiple. Uh, zine projects, including multiple tarot decks, uh, was birthed and then uh, delivered. <laughs> it took <laughs> took us quite a while to get everything done, but uh, yeah, like uh, the community really banded around it. Like the Fire Emblem community, like mm -hmm. we had a ton of fan art support. Um, at the time, I didn't pay that well. Like I paid everybody, but I was like, I didn't have money yet. Uh, uh, so it was like on average like eighty bucks to a hundred dollars per person. Mm -hmm. Um. Which, like, for somebody who wasn't making money on these projects, it was still a lot. But I had a 9-to-5 job, and I'm a yeah. software developer. So I was, like, comfortable with it. Now I'm paying a lot better with my fan projects. Like, uh, Genshin Terror, I pay, like, $350 a person. Oh, um, which is still not, like... I don't think it's, like, great. Uh, but it is better than industry rates, mm -hmm. which is not a good sign about 
the industry and that's a whole totally separate yeah, that, conversation 100 percent. That, <laughs> that is a coming from the journalist side of the game industry and whatnot it i and having wanting to also <laughs> go into game design and everything um yeah that's that's a whole other uh, spiel proto spiel <laughs> uh giant clusterfuck um but you touched on, and I just want to give listeners an idea. So when Ming is saying and talking about these 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 artists, you're probably thinking, oh, maybe the booklet, maybe the boar milk tokens. <laughs> he is talking about what is it like two hundred fifty some odd cards, each yeah. one hand designed and drawn by a fan artist, like a. a we had over a hundred different fan artists. Incredibly contribute. talented, like the cards. Yeah. We had a lot of Holy contributors. Crap. It was great. It was really awesome to see all the, because there's a Fire Emblem is a pretty, it's not a huge fandom, but it's got like a very loyal fan base. Mm-hmm. Oh, a lot okay. of artists. Yeah. So it's like, uh, it it was it was pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. And I mean, the project wouldn't exist without them. But it, yeah. it birthed from me meeting one, one of the fan artists who was then who is the lead artist for the project, mm-hmm. uh, Soren uh who at the time just we just randomly met on twitter and uh i i asked him if he wanted to do a couple of custom cards and then that turned into him recruiting like a dozen friends to do custom cards and then that turned into like opening up uh, a recruitment drive for artists and it is just it just it just snowballed so fast i just want to say like <laughs> in a different context that is such a that's a story from a Fire Emblem game. A chance meeting between two individuals, then growing an <laughs> army to tackle this, you know, game industry and publishers. Ah. But <clears throat> what, a, what a cool story. And just brief side tangent. As we are talking about this and going over Anna's Roundtable and whatnot, a little game has come out very recently called Fire Emblem Engage. Ming, have you tried it yet? Oh, God, yeah. I started it yesterday uh and i love it what you feeling uh, yeah i i am afraid that this might be my favorite fire emblem game since uh uh path of radiance or radiant dawn oh yeah i because i because I, I started fire emblem pretty old right like I, I started a long long time ago during gba era you know not not as old as some super hardcore fans but i played through all the gba games i played uh you know path of radiance and mm-hmm. radiant dawn multiple times in high school and so i coming from that era uh fate's awakening were fine i didn't but i wasn't like in love with them 100 percent were 100 three houses was really good but boy did it not feel like it a wasn't game. what i was looking for it's not what like i feel the same <laughs> way it's like it it's a good game but it's not what i wanted yeah, in my fire it's emblem. very very big it's very it's like a ta- it's basically a tactics game meets persona 5 meets right. a giant fire emblem cast and it's good three yes. houses is amazing 100 like, i love it but just coming to uh, engage, I was like, "Whoa, this is this is good. This is like, this game feels so polished. I I'm so happy with it. This is so much fun." And the stories also goes back to being pretty wacky for me. Like I like all the Fire Emblem games have pretty good stories, uh, but I think mm-hmm. Awakening was just too much. Like it just became too good. Like the writing became too large that I I'm really happy with this kind of like brush of fresh air of just. Let's just go back to like focusing on the combat, yeah, and just having fun. Because uh, uh, I think Fate's Awakening, the story was kind of more like uh, more. Um, I don't want to say janky, but like more lighthearted. 
Uh, yeah. Very like classic Fire Emblem. But like, if you look at the GBA games, they actually had really, really deep, deep like dark stories. But they were like compact, right? Yeah. And Three Houses, I feel like the story of like Three Houses was more similar to Sacred Stones and, uh, uh, yeah, I would say more like Sacred Stones than uh, Binding Blade. Uh, mm -hmm. But it just it just blew it up to like a hundred times the size, and I just I was just like, this is too much. This is too much. There was too much <laughs> downtime for me in Three Houses between like the fun. Tactical. That's also a big part of it. Yeah, that, that was the thing, and I I'm very much in the same boat as you, like. I have such a love of the Game Boy Advance games. Like, that's where I got my start with this, the series as well. And those are what I always run back to. And it always makes me sad when, like, Fire Emblem Heroes and stuff, they play so closely to the Awakening and, like, more recent, the more modern <laughs> Fire Emblem games when it's like, dude, mm -hmm. give me Hector. Give me, like... Oh, there's a less plenty of Hectors. But yeah, I, I do think no, Face Awakening like, characters have Hector. a lot of Like, I want my, my Game Boy Advanced uh, representation. Give me Colm. Give me Joshua. Give me Matthew. Give me, like, those Those are the characters. Those are my Fire Emblem characters. Those are the one I... I that just gave me a flashback to that. Uh, it was, like, it was like month one or, like, the first couple of weeks when Fire Emblem Heroes first came out. Mm -hmm. There was this Kotaku article about this doctor who dropped $1,500 to get Hector and didn't pull him. Oh. like that was the uh, og hector he was like one of the first like really yeah. strong five stars him and him and uh uh takumi just like dominated mm -hmm. the game in the first like three months it was man those were man god heroes heroes took so much money from me <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah yeah no i i'm a big fan of that like the the anna's round table has a lot of rep for older games too. oh i know like obviously three houses gets very very good rep but I'm very happy with how much rep we have for older games. Like some some characters in yep. in the expansion, uh, the cards, they're not even in Cipher. Like <laughs> we have a lot of characters in Anna's Roundtable that haven't even made it to Heroes, so it's very cool. Yeah, it's um, I'm I'm so I played through and did previews and guides and stuff for Engage. Um, and yeah, it it gave me that pre that old school Fire Emblem itch and. I grabbed onto it. I think there's a, a lot of fluff to it, but you it's a lot of so much of it is also you can just forego and like not pay attention to. Um but no. Engage is engage is wonderful. Um I, I having a lot of fun. Yeah. There's a lot I a lot I enjoy about it. Um but speaking kind of going from Anna's round table, one of the other games that you the fan game that we mentioned earlier uh, the Persona 5 fan game. Now, this is strictly a card game, whereas Anna's Roundtable is like a tactical grid base, all sorts of stuff. What was kind of your design process with, with Persona? Oh, wow. That that one was... Um, I would consider the Persona 5 fan game to be my first like decent design. Because mm -hmm. uh, before that, I think all the games I made were a lot of prototypes, maybe like 20-ish. None of them were... I mean, people will tell me they were good. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fun to play prototypes like once or twice. Uh, but that the Persona 5 fan game was probably the first one that I like actually enjoyed. And I've played it like 30 times and I still don't hate it, which is great. Uh, it, it, it was um, inspired by uh, a couple of other solitaire-like prototypes I had actually played between Proto-ATL and just exploring a lot of board games. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think the key lesson... That I have in design now, after designing for 
oh man, like eight, seven years, eight years, is uh, nothing is original. Everything's a remix. There's a great series on YouTube called Everything is a Remix by, um, uh, who is the name? Um, Kirby Ferguson. Yeah, Kirby Ferguson. Uh, highly recommend everybody watch the series. Everything is a remix, but all gameplay designs are just iterations on other gameplay mechanics. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the Persona Five one was essentially okay. It is a you know the video game itself. It's a it's a solo game. Uh, if you want to make it through a board game, the primary focus for me was a solo or two player co op. Uh, and You know, you ha I had to basically just distill down all the elements of the video game into a card game format. So, what were the major form, uh, major points of Persona Five? Uh, well, there, it's a time management dating simulator. So there has to be a calendar. A calendar translates into a turn, uh, like you know, a, a turn mm -hmm. counter. Very simple. Uh, the uh, dating sim uh, aspect used uh, uh, social stats, which is just like you know, standard you know, D and D tabletop RPG. Uh, ability scores, uh, and then from there, it was just, okay, pick one of the 600 different dice rolling rules for determining <laughs> skill checks, uh, and I, I basically used something very similar to, um, I think it was Descent at the time, was the higher your score, the more dice you rolled. Okay. Uh, and that was a very easy one to translate instead of having, like, all these complicated scores that you find in D&D, &D, for example. Mm -hmm. um, there's, like, a wide range of dice systems, right? And, you know, just pick one that was simple that could be easily translated because the social stats in Persona 5 is not, like, the main focus, but you have to have it. Um, and then, you know, Persona 5 is a dungeon crawler RPG. Like, you have to have combat, but I didn't want to create a gigantic combat system Yeah. because uh, a calendar is 30-plus days, and if if it's going to be a 30-day, if it's going to be a 30-turn game, then the combat better be very snappy. Yeah. So I was like, well, it's a solitaire co-op game. Let's just not even have it be combat at all. Let's just have it basically be a resource puzzle uh, that feels kind of like combat. Mm -hmm. And so it was just all these things, steps going forward one at a time. I mean, like, you know, obviously I went through a lot of different prototypes to get there. Like, there were variations on that game where, like, uh, where instead of just, like, dealing characters off the top, there there was, like, a... A map for the uh, what was the underground dungeon called? Mementos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For mementos, like a our, uh, procedurally generated dungeon map. And I was like, this is important. Like this, is, like there are certain <laughs> aspects of the video game that just wasn't important in in a quick mm -hmm. like thirty to sixty minute board game. And so it is very much distilling. Like you create a large design, you just strip away, strip away, strip away until you yeah. get this very distilled. Uh, streamlined experience that's still fun uh so i'm very happy with that design uh and i think unlike a couple of my current designs like the uh the Genshin Taro design which is nowhere near streamlined i, I think it's actually better in a lot of ways because it's it's really really sleek uh and part of that was because at the time i was i didn't have artists i was just mm -hmm. going off of what i could rip from the games um i paid for cover art and that was about it um but yeah like now that I'm doing the, you know, the Genshin Taro, uh, all these artists, like, they know about me. They know I'm trustworthy. They know I'm not going to, like, I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. I try my best mm -hmm. to be open. And uh, and so there's just a lot of artists who are interested in working with me. So because I've lost that restriction, I think I've actually grown a little bit worse as a designer. In a way. <laughs> like, Genshin Taro is massive. Like, it's even bigger than Anishon Table. Like, the box is even heavier. Uh, so it's like,
Damn. Maybe maybe I need to, I need to go back to my roots and make make some really simple sleek games. Uh, it's been a while. So what? <laughs> why is it called Genshin Tarot when it's like not a marketing deck of tarot gimmick. cards? <laughs> Just is that <laughs> they're brilliant? No. Well, be. At the beginning, I didn't want to make a board game at all. At, at the beginning, it was me and my friends, me and my artist friends. And I was like, well, I have a lot of experience in, or at the point I finished uh, Anna's Roundtable. And I was like, well, I have all these people I know. I have a lot of experience from running this one, like, three-year project. Uh, I could probably do the Genshin Tarot deck because nobody else had made a tarot deck yet. I was like, yeah, I could just I can make it and we can, you know, profit share. That would mm -hmm. be good. It'll be a fun deck project. And then, like somehow or another me and the co the, the lead the lead artist um daniel dung who also lives in Atlanta, so he's local to me we just talked a little bit too much about how we could turn the tarot deck into also a playable card game that used the tarot cards because i was like well you know it'd be cool if i was because like i make board games like, yeah. i want to design a game like make a simple game with it and then just kept talking and talking <laughs> just like <laughs> just snowballed out of control into a massive board game um with a tarot deck as core uh but i mean at the time we wanted to make a tarot deck because tarot decks like you know they're they're artistic they make oh yeah easy sales um but yeah at the end of this project there will be a tarot deck mm -hmm. and that will be sold as its own project like product like there will be a standard 78 car tarot deck of just the Genshin characters from the Genshin Tarot project like mm -hmm. with that art. But there's also the Genshin Tarot, the board game, which is this massive, <laughs> like, uh, huge, huge, Behemoth. massive game. Uh, <laughs> it, it looks beautiful, like, because I'm not big into tarot decks, so when I, I was on your um, your shop page earlier, just taking a look, and then I saw Genshin Tarot, it's like, oh, that looks interesting thinking I was clicking on a link to see like a deck of tarot cards only it's like then there's a board there's like a lot rule book there's all this and it's like I don't I don't think this is a tarot deck anymore and then <laughs> I watched the video of how to play and it's like oh this is definitely not just a tarot deck but it sounds really fun <laughs> there is a there is a tarot deck inside the box that you use to uh, you deal the tarot cards at the beginning to decide who you're gonna play with uh, but we decided mechanically not to use them because they're very pretty. They're foil, they're gold bordered. And, you know, if you mm -hmm. move those things around a lot, they'll smudge. So the tarot cards are used at the beginning and then the rest of the game is played with actual cards. That's uh, yeah. It just, it just snowballed into yeah. a gigantic project. As, <laughs> it, it takes me back to my game design days in college where feature creep and everything is so real. Um, oh yeah. And, sounds like that joy of game design transitions incredibly well into board game design as well um so so one thing i'm i'm curious about and with persona in the uh, atlas and nintendo are pretty stingy about their 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 ips so <laughs> are your games legal to play uh no no not even Perfect. not even the slightest uh, we'll not even pretend like they are <laughs> Um, but surprisingly, Genshin Tarot is. Genshin Tarot is actually hugely... Genshin Impact is hugely supportive of fan projects, um, which is why you'll have, like, $100,000-plus Kickstarters mm -hmm. of Genshin Impact merch on Kickstarter all the time. Um, I think one just wrapped up for purses. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, let me let me see. Uh, I think it's, like, Genshin Shoulder Bags, because uh, I just... I backed it, mm -hmm. and I think they, they raised, like, 
they raised like two hundred thousand or something crazy or one hundred sixty thousand. Uh, okay, yeah, Genshin Impact bags uh, by Elena raised one hundred thirty-six thousand euros on wow. Kickstarter. Yeah, so Genshin Impact as a company, uh, MiHoYo as a company, uh, really supports fan projects. I think they have a really good understanding of how fan projects mm -hmm. keeps the community alive. Basically, it's free advertisement. Everybody wins. Yeah. Um, kind of like the OGL, you know, <laughs> like that Wizard Dude. of the Coast. Realizing is actually what makes the uh, you know the IP so powerful is because they let people make stuff and sell stuff and make money and like you've created a thriving fan base economy. Uh, and Genshin Impact deeply understands that. In fact, they pay their content creators yeah uh, through various sponsorships. Uh, they also have a content creator program to like give you in-game rewards. It's, mm -hmm. it's great. But as far as Nintendo and Persona, obviously, they're much more stringent. That said, uh, Fire Emblem is like this weird back pocket IP for Nintendo where they don't really care about it too much because uh, it's made by intelligent systems, I guess. You know, uh, Nintendo is very strict with uh, Pokemon, Mario, Zelda, mm -hmm. and the like. Uh, but not so much with Fire Emblem. There's, there's actually a lively scene of Fire Emblem ROM hacks. Yeah, there's uh, that whole, uh, I think, FE3 event that goes on every year where people just make their kind of own fan fire emblem games i know that's big in the yeah. room. that's very there's cool. a huge thriving community of fe font hacks uh fe6 and fe7 rom hacks yep. in particular is very po popular some of them are super polished with original art uh full length campaigns like some of these are huge huge massive undertakings mm -hmm. i'm a big uh, fan of the fire emblem randomizers myself i'm a i'm a oh, sucker yeah, for yeah, good yeah. randomizer um I was hoping I think, that you had to like bounce your signal and like around five different VPNs every time you logged into your Etsy store or something, <laughs> and you and your name's not actually like Brother Ming. Is like that's a an, an anagram for something else. And Fire Emblem has gotten me into a little bit of hot trouble. My Facebook page got hit by uh, DMCA once, um, but this was back before we had original art. Mm -hmm. uh, this was while I was just doing it by myself. But ever since we went completely 100% original art, like, you know, I don't I don't think Nintendo, I'm sure they know about it. I'm sure they're keeping an eye on it. But I think they just realized that Fire Emblem is one of their properties that has a huge fan base, like, that I think it would be, um, I think it would be counterproductive for them to try to shut it down. Uh, at least, because it's not, like, huge, right? Like, it's not, like, a big project. I'm not... I'm not trying to make it a big project. I'm not putting it onto like putting mm. it into like Amazon or putting it on a like Barnes and Noble shelves. I'm just selling it via <laughs> Etsy, and you know Etsy has a there's lots of fan merch on Etsy. Uh, but yeah, and also Fire Emblem just has this weird ROM hack scene. Like yeah. the Last Promise, I think is probably the most well known one. But like the Last Promise is a full Fire Emblem game. Like yeah, it's like 38 chapters. It's crazy. Like oh wow. It's very, very good, too. Well-written, completely original characters and original art. Highly recommend checking it out. And they released in, like, 20 freaking, like, 2010 or something like that. Uh, it's old. Uh, but there's a bunch of new ones, too. Like, uh, um, there's a there's a YouTuber, uh, mm -hmm. Fire Emblem YouTuber, that is releasing one right now. Uh, oh, crap. His name escapes me. He's very, very hot. Uh He's like he's like a he's like a very handsome model who also does Fire Emblem content. Uh, he's great. Ah, <laughs> uh, crap! I get his name escapes Bless me. Bless the right modern communities, man. It yeah. Uh, so Fire Emblem is in a weird case. Persona Five also in a weird case where Atlas of the U uh, Atlas of USA handles this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, Atlas of USA 
also handles Sonic. So oddly enough, they are pretty like chill about uh, fan projects. Uh, there's a lot of Persona 5 fan merch out there, like a ton. There's Persona 5 jewelry that's fan made uh, that, you know, sells for like a couple hundred dollars. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so for whatever reason, those two just, you know, got on by this. They're just, they're uh, obviously, I think if I try to make it bigger, which I'm yeah. not going to because I don't, I don't, I'm not stupid. Uh, <laughs> uh, that would be, you know, just asking for trouble. But uh, I think for these companies, they just realize that it would be just kind of counterproductive to just go on Etsy mm -hmm. and try to strike things because there's so much. Like, you can go on Etsy that right now true. and search Persona 5. And it's just so many things, right? Like, what are they going to do? Like, um, and it's bad for the bad for the fan base. Like Persona Five 100%. is making the money hand over fist because of how popular it is, and the people who love it just make mm -hmm. more content, keep the fans engaged. And if they shut that down, people wouldn't be as hyped for the next Persona Five remake, right? Like, uh, mm -hmm. so I think it's I think it's a good, um, healthy, gray zone, yeah, <laughs> symbiotic relationship. Um, but I probably will be moving away from all that stuff. Uh, now, you know, I've, I'm becoming a, uh, a full, full fledged publisher with mm -hmm. react. Uh, and, uh, I just don't, I just don't see the, the word, like it being worth it to keep taking a risk on these fan yeah. projects. I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll wrap up Anna's round table, but, uh, and Genshin Taro and Genshin impact is like, whatever. Cause Genshin impact loves that stuff. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I probably wouldn't do anything with Persona Five again. That that, that one's kind of risky. Yeah, especially yeah. since Persona Five has now an officially licensed board game in the works by uh, Panasaurus. That is true. Very, they do. Very for them. Very excited for them. Uh, uh, yeah, Panasaurus is great. Uh, minus some uh, bad PR from uh, a recent article that I don't know too much about. I don't know the people personally, but I do know one guy who works at Panasaurus, and he's cool. So I, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's all I know, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, no worries. So one of the things from React to Persona to Fire Emblem is they're very card-focused. So what is it about card game systems that really appeal to you with board games? Because it seems very mm. they're very forefront with your game designs from what it seems like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a actually a really good question. I have thought about this a bit, and it's because I don't think video games translate well into abstract games, nor anime. Like, I don't think anime nor video games translate well into abstract games. As for React, I, that's just the culmination of one. I just like yeah. thematic, tactical games. The designer of that game and myself and the co-designer are all big Yu-Gi-Oh fans growing up. Mm -hmm. uh, and the fact that the designer, lead designer still plays active competitive Yu-Gi-Oh. So like, we're just, I'm just, I just like card games a lot. Uh, but I, I'm not very good at designing abstract games. And I've played a lot of abstract games, but I think uh, as somebody who really wants to make anime-focused games, it's hard to make an abstract game that also captures the uh, the ens essence of what makes anime fans like anime content. Mm -hmm. uh, right? Like, an anime video game uh, has to have certain things, right? They, they tend to always have a decent amount of plot uh, a lot of characters and uh you know a lot of a lot of rpg elements for example mm -hmm. and you can't make a uh anime themed puzzle game by itself without a lot of those rpg elements for example uh like a uh, uh, uh 
what's that sheep climbing game? Uh, Catherine, for Catherine. example, like the the puzzle game element of it. If that was the only part of it in the whole game, uh, it, it wouldn't feel very anime. Like you have to have that dating sim part. You, you have, have to have, to have the giant butt monster chasing after. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that and more more so like you have to have the visual novel aspect of it. Like it. Yeah. It, it, fans of anime who are also fan of games won't play it if it's not art and story and characters forward right and mm-hmm. uh mechanically you can have things that don't focus on those but set dressing wise you need to have those and that's the same thing about board games uh mechanically sure you could have an abstract game that's anime but like the forefront needs to be characters and art and uh like something like f- seeing characters in action and abstract games just don't do a very good job of that mm-hmm. uh it's much more easy to translate the, uh, what fans of anime want in a game when the game is you're playing as a character or you've got these cars that rep- like lets you see what the character is doing or who the character are, uh, who yeah. the character is. Um, and so I think that's why for me personally, I, I, I try to go with card games because it's it puts the art from the center. Uh, of course, that also means there are very high art budgets like Re- React mm-hmm. had like a uh, had like an almost $30,000 art budget. So uh well yeah. worth it by the way the <laughs> well, art you, that, that you have put great. together with react is ridiculous yes. um, card and pat are both absolutely um amazing. i i backed the collector's edition so i'm very excited to check out the the art book when it when oh, it ships yeah, yeah um had to do an art book oh absolutely yeah. had to it's absolutely gorgeous but now i'm curious so as a as a game designer what is a game that if you had limited budget, what's a game series or a specific game that you would want to turn into a, a, a board game, a tabletop? Mm, like a video game. If I had unlimited budget or a limited budget? Unlimited budget. Unlimited budget. Ooh, what video uh, game would you want to transition and kind of mold into a board game? I would Next. really like to make one of Etrian Odyssey. That was probably the game I Yo, wanted to make that game be of for a really long time. Yeah, it's not as popular, Etrian Odyssey. I'm a huge fan of the series. I've played every single one, one, two, three, four, five, and mm-hmm. Untold, and Untold 2. It's one of those games that I just deeply, deeply love. Uh, Ryla on Rune Factory, but I don't think I would care about Rune Factory as a board game nearly as much, especially after like owning and playing the, uh, the Stardew Valley board game, which I just wasn't a fan of. Um, but I love Stardew Valley. I think it just doesn't translate into a board game very yeah. well. Um, especially if you w- want to make it a competitive game. I mean, yeah. it's just not the vibes. But an Entry Odyssey competitive game would just be super fun. Um, but then I played uh, Bargain Quest, and I was like, well, I don't need to make one. Bargain <laughs> Quest already exists. What's the point? Because <laughs> uh, Bargain Quest is great, and I think it captures that Entry Odyssey vibe minus the map making. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think a game that's both Bargain Quest and cartographers would be very good like that's they're they're two separate games for a reason you'd have to kind of go one or the other uh and i think if i made a Etrian odyssey fan game it would have been very very similar to bargain quest like it would have been almost identical like when i was concepting it back in the day i was thinking Etrian odyssey it's it's about the exploration it's not really about the characters you play as like yes you put together characters and you go you control them and uh, go out and explore but it's really about the townspeople that you uh, all the mm-hmm. NPCs that you meet uh and so like it would be much more interesting to play as one of those and send adventures out <clears throat> into 
the uh Yggdrasil tree rather than play like a dungeon diving RPG, right? Like that's mm -hmm. not really what Ashen Odyssey is about. Um which is a weird take yeah. because the whole game is about diving dungeons and right. like mapping out a map. Uh, but I think as a board game, the set dressing would be like, yeah, you know, here's all these ventures. You got to equip them, send them out, and see how well they do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but Bargain Quest exists, like I said, so I, I probably wouldn't. Well, uh, now I'm curious. You kind of <laughs> you, you had a really good submission, but then you kind of like talked yourself out of that as a submission. So what's like the next game that doesn't already exist with an idea you have? Now I have to ask oh, you what your second well, one would I be. If I had unlimited budget, I'd do it. <laughs> Okay. I do it because it would be a very art intensive game um, and I would make it much more ambitious than Barton Quest. It would be bigger. It would have a lot more characters and a lot more like it would have some dungeon diving aspects, right? Because Barton Quest just has the bosses and you just send them off and they fight. Mm -hmm. I, I would have the characters explore a dungeon for like an actual dungeon. Um, so yeah, that's 100% for sure. Uh, it's just uh, it would just be huge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it just take too much money. <laughs> Uh, and I don't think anybody would buy it as a fan game. I, it would have to just be an original game. And I think it might be good, but uh, that's not the kind of games I want to make anyway. So, eh. uh, okay. Well, you yeah. just keep giving me good ones. Like, <laughs> what's the game you want to make then? Oh, uh... unlimited, uh, still unlimited budget, unlimited marketing, development, everything budget. You can have as big of a team as you want. What is your dream game? What is Brother Ming's magnum opus dream game? <laughs> Super Collector's Edition uh, uh, yeah. product. I I think ultimately, I I think Anna's Roundtable was it. Uh, I don't I don't think I could want to make a game that is as high art budget as Anna's Roundtable. Like it's 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 insane, right? Because like mm -hmm. with the expansion, there will be over four hundred pieces of unique art, like character art. Like that's. That's not financially feasible for a board game. <laughs> That's just not something. Ming, you would do. we're talking. Yeah. We're not talking about what's feasible. No, yeah. So that's why, like, basically, Anna's Roundtable yeah. was essentially an unlimited budget game because I didn't. I, it didn't even be profitable, and I made it. I, I can't imagine something bigger. Yeah. Because I don't. I don't actually like super heavy games. Mm -hmm. Like I own Madara, and it's great, but I don't. I, I don't want to bring that out to the table, and I don't get really into it. I played it solo. I can't imagine playing it with anyone else, and it's great. Like, yeah, you know, uh, my second favorite game is probably um, no. My my favorite game of all time is uh, is uh, Warriors of Jogu, and my second is Battlecon. And Anna's Roundtable is basically that, right? It's a dueling game, and then it has unlimited pieces of art. So, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that's it's basically everything I wanted. Because I, I love dueling games. All my games are dueling games. That's that's something that's kind of a uh well not 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 all of them but that's a big trend like i got yeah. into games for battlecon a lot of the original games i've pitched the publishers are all dueling games react is a dueling game Anna's round table is a ruling game so i basically wanted to make battlecon for the longest time but level 99 uh they didn't want to take any of my pitches because they didn't want to publish another fighting game uh yeah they do succeed right yeah They're yeah yeah it would publishing. just it would just self-cannibalize yeah so there's no reason for them to publish another fighting game so now i have to be the competitor <laughs> uh so yeah like react is amazing but react doesn't have unlimited budget whereas like you know yeah. round table did basically like 400 pieces of unique art that's crazy like and i want more I, I would put in another 500 if i could like like if i had a limited budget yeah i just i just keep adding cars and round table weren't you i thought i read somewhere that you were doing an expansion or yeah, something yeah with that's it? 
that's what we're doing right now. And with the expansion, there will be over 400 new, uh, character cards. That's crazy. That's so many cards. That's so many pieces cards. of cards. Yeah, so absolutely unheard of in in board games, and un basically unfeasible because it's just <laughs> it just be it would just be absurd. Uh, but it's okay when you don't care about profit. <laughs> Who needs profit? Um, but I I, I do applaud you, and as mm. with that mentality, and I like you. I have a nine to five job. That it pays me well enough that I can pursue my hobbies and my passions, my creative outlets as oh, yeah. that, as creative outlets. And I think it's so important. Like, and it's funny, you're a um, computer engineer, like you do coding. I'm a virtual reality specialist and Unreal Ooh. designer myself. Um, so it's, I feel a bit of a, a bit of a kinship uh, to you, sir, with, both going to for game design and having these perhaps not ideal or the best situation or the our dream jobs per se but they provide us the opportunity to do what we love whether for you it's designing these amazing board games and working with such creative artists and now being a publisher on my end it's doing game journalism and this podcast and things like that and just playing the games that you incredibly creative people make um but I think having that creative that creative outlet is so yes. important. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so many the people. The nine to five just, grind only yeah. gets you so far. <laughs> well, and it's just it makes me sad to see people that like I went to school with, their friends I grew up with, and see them in jobs and having lost that kind of creative spark, that imagination. And I think that is being able to hold on to that as tight as you can. That creativity your imagination is so important um and having making sure you give yourself that that outlet to still be creative and have crazy thoughts they have the fun thoughts on how you would design an etrian odyssey game or putting <laughs> having the creative and just brainstorming sessions to take uh, an idea to do a tarot deck and spawn it off into this giant board game with genshin tarot <laughs> it it's it makes life worth living, I think. Yes. Yeah. No. That's that's uh that is basically why I think a lot of my artist friends are into art, right? It's just mm -hmm. you got you got to create something with your own two hands to feel like you're you're uh, kind of contributing something, not just leaving a mark or just yeah. you know do something worthwhile. And uh, you know, as as much as I love programming, um, you know, uh, making a website turn green is not that big of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um so gonna ask you a couple questions real quick. Uh yeah. I I I I listened to and kinda did some research, so I, I wanna know about Marble Strikers. Tell me tell me about oh, Marble, boy, Strikers. Marble Strikers. This this early uh, game from your early game design days. This one was my uh, one of the first original designs I had that got pitched around that picked up some steam. I had some other original game designs, but this one picked up some steam. A couple of different publishers wanted it, but none of them wanted to make it an anime game. Uh, they were like, you know, because publishers control what the art will be. Yeah. Um, they weren't really on board with the idea that an anime game would sell well. Board games kind of dominated by... Uh, what I would call D&D-esque art, 
that like kind of like mm-hmm. a high fantasy painterly style, which I like that art style. Don't get me wrong, I just like anime more. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I pitched it around. I thought about doing it myself. Uh, I really thought about doing it myself, actually. And then eventually one publisher did pick it up, uh, Penguin and Panda Games, uh, which uh, picked it up. We signed a contract. Uh, I've been paid, but it is currently kind of in limbo while that publisher uh, kind of picks up their pieces because they have uh, four other Kickstarters they haven't fulfilled yet, and people aren't very happy about that. Ooh. <laughs> But hopefully they get fulfilled, and then we'll pick that up. Uh, yeah, that that's kind of a pretty long, pretty complicated story. It's a TLDR, but yeah, you know, it's in the publisher's hands. I don't have the rights to it, but okay. Uh, hopefully it does get published eventually. Are are they the same ones that have the rights to Sento as well? Yeah, so Marble Strike it okay. became Sento, and well, the publisher they renamed it Sento. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, people aren't very happy on the BGG page for Sento. <laughs> uh, well, that's kinda... a, that's a shame. I hope it they yeah. can work things out and your early brainchild comes comes to fruition. Um, but yeah, that BGG page got kind of review bombed. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, it is it, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully the publisher picks up all the pieces. I, I'm, you know, I'm not. Uh, I'm not like actively working on it right now, mm-hmm. but like if it if it becomes active and becomes like something that can be turned into a real thing, I'll you know I'll be there. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I'm hoping. So you, um, I would love a Gundam game, and I know mm. you 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 are good friends with Breeze and Zephyr Studios with Aegis. I I previewed Second Ignition. Very excited for that. I backed it. I actually did the uh backed the create a commander and robot one to um, immortalize professor rpg as as a character in that game <laughs> nice. um, but i would love a like a really good gundam game so if you have ever... you um have you checked out embryo machine yes i've heard of embryo machine oh, it's really good i i played it and i was like this is it this is the gundam game very very good game uh, highly recommend checking it out i've i've Heard really good things about it. I tried Core Connection. I don't think it had a enough depth for me. Um, I was kind of let down a little bit. But I loved the art style and everything. It was. It's. I think it was vastly more anime oh. inspired than Embryo Machine. Um, I just wanted a yeah. bit more depth. depth Core to Connection. It. The issue with that is like it's kind of just another Japan anime deck builder. Yes. Um, and so like I, I didn't even bother picking it up. The art looks great, but mm-hmm. it's. You know, again, it's just. I mean, I like that builders only go so far, <laughs> and I just realized it's the same strategy every every single game. And yeah, it's, no... it's just another it's just another Japan anime deck builder. Like they're they're fine. The art's great, but I think Japan anime kind of has this formula for their uh, imported deck builders, and they're not exactly yeah um, inspiring. Uh, they they've imported a couple of indie games that are really cool, uh, but those also don't have like the kind of like high budget art fidelity that mm-hmm. I would want it out of a game. Uh, but yeah, I enjoy I, I... Insomnia from uh, from Japan anime. My wife mm-hmm. and I played that. Um, that that's was one of the uh, that's one of the indie collection games, right? Like uh, I think so. Um, yeah. But no, I I love the art. Like Gundam is so iconic. Like the art, everything. 
I checked out Embryo Machine. The name kind of weirds me out, but the gameplay looks really good. Um, <laughs> it's a uh, it's it is a translation. Uh, I think it is in Japanese. I think it. I don't know. Is it called Embryo Machine in Japanese? The gameplay though is very good. I yeah yeah. I've watched some let's it plays and very, it sounds good. really good. But I'm pretty sure I couldn't convince my wife to play a game called Embryo Machine. And uh, art style wise, like I think the weapons didn't do it for me. Like some of the art is like a little generic-y looking to me. Gameplay looks great though, but I love just like a react, oh, yeah, yeah. but with Gundams. The uh, original Japanese name is Embryo Machinu, and uh, and just in Japanese, it's yeah. it's, it's <laughs> uh, wacky Japanese games. It's uh, it's it's very good. Yes. Uh, it feels like you're playing a Gundam game. It feels like you're really piloting a mech, and it it's kind of by far like if you've watched um uh, uh Gundam Builders or Divers. Yeah, is it called Gundam Builders? Yeah, Gundam Builder. Uh, uh Build Fighters. Build Fighters. Gundam Build yes. Fighters. Those, you know, that anime is like, you know, the two kids yeah. put in their mech and then they just fight in a 1v1 duel. That, like, is what Embryo Machine feels like. The the pacing of it is really, really cool. The the gameplay of it is really, really neat. And uh, once you grasp the game, mm -hmm. uh, not you, you don't need to play with the, uh, the pre-built machines. You can literally design your own machine. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and it's super, super cool. Uh, it... I, I agree. I wish it was had that anime aesthetic, kind of like that what we were talking about, right? Yeah. Like, if you want an anime game, it really needs to have characters to make you feel like you're playing an anime game, anime aesthetic game, and that's what Embryo Machine lacks. It, it doesn't have any characters. The art is kind of very static, and it's just a bunch of weapon cards. Yeah. Um. So if it's a so it doesn't really capture the magic, but gameplay wise, oh, spectacular. If I if I made a Gundam game, I would steal a lot of ideas from Embryo Machine. That's Do it. Cool. <laughs> make it happen. Breeze might kill me if I make a robot game. Though. Well, just <laughs> well, just publish it under a, a another pseudonym. You know, your backup backup <laughs> one, so in case Nintendo ever found you. That's all you gotta do. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> or just like you I'll know, talk to Breeze about it. I'll talk to Breeze. Call about your it. name Gus, and successful. that Gus is just a harder <laughs> Breeze. So, uh, but no. Also, go back Aegis. It's a good game. Mm, yes, and they're yes. doing wonderfully. Aegis is great. Um, so as we're, we're we're coming to the close, I wanna I'm curious, what tips or advice would you give to people that wanna kind of try their hand at designing their own board game or adapting their favorite board game or anime or their favorite video game or board favorite video game or anime? There we go <laughs> into a board game. Uh, I, I, my first rule is just put it onto paper and just, just play with a friend or play with yourself or, you know, just type it out onto a piece of, uh, my design process is actually, I open up a text file and I just type conversations to myself about what the game could be. And eventually it gets to a point where like, this is worth prototyping. Uh, and so I think my advice is just, you know, just, just hammer, hammer through it. Like it's not... Uh, it, it's kind of hard to become good at design and realizing what makes a game good until you make a game, think it's good, uh, and play it's it bad. a bunch and realize it's <laughs> shit. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot, I've met a lot of game designers who kind of like think their game is perfect. Or have also met game designers who've been redesigning the same game like several years. And I think, 
I think that's probably an unhealthy approach <laughs> to it. Mm -hmm. I think all the best game designers uh, realize that the games are bad. And uh, I think being a board game designer, you can't have an ego. Uh, but being a famous video game designer, you have to have an ego. So I don't know. I think it's because famous video game designers uh, are, are basically creative directors, so they mm -hmm. can have a ego because they don't actually make the games anymore. Uh, but famous indie game designers, like indie video game developers, they all think their games are trash, and they're like, I don't know why people play my game. And I think that's kind of like the kind of person you have to be. You just have to keep making games and yeah. wonder why people play them. <laughs> and worst case scenario, just start with the idea that you're designing a tarot deck, and then you'll turn in, it'll turn into a fully fledged yes. board game. <laughs> Natural train of thought. That's all you got to do. But yeah, don't have an ego. Put it on paper. <laughs> That's my two advice. Yeah. There you go. And uh, try and try again. So yeah. it's it's design, just like any artistic endeavor, is mm -hmm. a exercise in repetition and futility. Yeah. The fun part is doing it, right? Yeah. Like designing the game is the fun part, but realizing that you can't hold on to any design and being self-aware that all designs are both remixes and all designs are both garbage. Like that's what makes you keep going. The people yeah. who end up not being able to keep designing are the people who design a thing and they get stuck and hung up on it thinking that this is really good and they have to convince other people that it's good. When in reality, when you design something, you played it, it was fun. That's it. You don't need to get more out of that design. You need yeah. to design something else. Uh, so that would be what I give my advice to for sure. Good, good advice. But well, Ming, this has been an absolute pleasure. This was a lot of fun. Great information. It was good to see a, a peek behind the curtain in your game design process and getting to nerd out a bit about Fire Emblem and everything. Thank you so much for coming on. No problem. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Of course. Uh, but where can people find you online? What do you have cooking? And I know we touched on it a little bit, but go ahead and plug away your stuff. Yeah, you can find me Brother Mean Games on pretty much everywhere except for Twitter, where it's Brother Mean Game. No S, because Twitter uh, has a limit on the character cap. and <laughs> doesn't fit the S. Uh, yeah, Twitter, Instagram, uh, fucking Facebook. <laughs> Not that I use it. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm publishing React. The Kickstarter has succeeded. We are playtesting the last couple of characters, trying to get everything balanced, uh, really nail it down so that we don't have too many regrets, but inevitably we will because nothing is ever perfect. True. Uh, and that's fine. Uh, you know, you, you just keep you keep, keep fixing things until you hit the print button, and then you hope that you, you don't regret it for at least a couple <laughs> months. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah, so that's in the progress. Hopefully, we'll have that shipped out to customers by November or October. Uh, and then uh, we'll be at PAX Unplugged, hopefully announcing the expansion for React. So that's kind of what I'm focusing on this year. Oh, very While cool. While alongside that, uh, Genshin Taro is going to be delivering uh, in March. Uh, Anna's Roundtable expansion, along with a reprint of the base game, is going to be going on pre-order in uh, May or June. And then uh, I've got a bunch of random tabletop bullshit accessories uh, that are very anime on my etsy store that if you are a tabletop <laughs> fan and you uh, like anime you should check out my etsy store there's a bunch of garbage on it like uh, uh weeby card sleeves and uh, gish and <laughs> dice like all that all that junk uh that, that i like making so yeah that's it for me
Oh, very cool. So uh, is React going to be available in any sort of retail stores, or can people It'll be on get it my web store, late, late my backers? Wolf. Okay. Yeah, the current late ba- there's late pledges right now that's already open. It'll be on my own personal web store, and I'll have to see whether or not I can get it onto Amazon. I'm I'm not a big I don't really understand how to use Amazon yet, mm-hmm. but I think I'll just put it on Amazon if I can. Okay. <laughs> Are there going to be any restocks? It looks like Genshin Tarot is currently out of stock on your website. Are there or Anna's Roundtable or any of those getting reprints or that people can potentially pick up in the coming months? Yeah, Genshin Tarot is uh it's currently halted. Uh it's not out of stock. It's just halted while we bring the games over to uh to me so I can start shipping them. But okay. once I've shipped out all the pre-orders, uh they'll just go onto the web store. And then Anna's Roundtable is actually sold out, but pre-orders for a reprint and the expansion will go up in May. Okay. Or June. We'll see. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, thank you again, Ming. This was such a good time talking to you. And thank you to each and every one of you who's listened today. Be sure to rate and review us on your preferred podcast services. I'd really appreciate it. If you have an RPG you would like us to feature on an episode, tweet at underscore RPG University with the hashtag RPGU with your suggestion. Or you can share your own favorite RPGs or memories or RPGs you'd like to see turned into board games directly with me on Twitter at ProfessorRPG. As always, everybody, stay safe, stay healthy, be kind to one another. Class dismissed.